Lesson 10 for August 27 to September 2. Jesus won their confidence. Sabbath afternoon, August 27. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is something that we can open, treasure and learn from. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us as we look at how Jesus related to people and how he asked them to follow him. Help us in our lives too to be just like him, we pray in his dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Luke chapter 5 verse 15. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Let's read that again, Luke 5.15. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. For several years, the Seventh-day Adventist Church has provided breakfast five days a week for a local public elementary school. Though the nation itself was very secular, it just had passed a law providing enough money for each public school to have a chaplain, and the school and community wanted the Seventh-day Adventist Church to provide one. It is rare to ask only one church to do that. The chaplain's role is to help look after the physical, emotional and spiritual needs of the students and even the wider school community. The opportunities are amazing. I enjoy the unique and special relationship we have with your church, the school principal had said to the church pastor who was visiting the school, and just wish other churches could be involved the way you are. When the pastor was leaving the grounds, the school's community liaison officer thanked him for what the church was doing and asked if she could attend one Sabbath. This week, we will explore the issue of winning the confidence of people whom we aim to serve and win for Christ. Sunday, August 28. Winning Confidence After desiring their good, showing sympathy and ministering to their needs, Jesus won their confidence. Confidence in Latin is composed of the words con, meaning with, and fides, F-I-D-E-S, meaning faith. Throughout the Bible, several words are employed to get across the meaning of the word faith. In Hebrew, the main root for faith is Ammon, A-M-N, from which we get the word Amen. The basic idea is that of constancy, continuity and reliability. It gives the idea of something solid, firm, in which one can trust and believe. It is often translated as believe in the context of a saving faith in God, and in another form it means truth. In the context of Christ's example of winning people's confidence, the implication would be that of evoking the kind of trust that comes from seeing unwavering and solid commitment, which, in the case of Jesus, came through mingling with, sympathising with, and serving the people. Question. Read the following texts, all of which have a word based on the root Amen. 
Genesis 15.6, Numbers 14.11, Isaiah 7.9 and Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, how is it used in the text and how does it convey the idea of confidence and trust? First of all, Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6, and he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Numbers 14 verse 11, Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me? with all the signs which I have performed among them. And Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 9, The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramaliah's son. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. And Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. In the Greek of the New Testament, the root word used to convey the Hebrew amen, faith, belief, is pistis. This Greek word for faith implies belief, trust, absolute certainty, reliability and assurance. In the context of Christ's example of winning people's confidence, the implication would be that of evoking absolute certainty, assurance, trust and belief in response to his unselfish commitment to mingling, sympathizing and serving. It is important to note that in Scripture, whenever this concept of confidence is attributed to humans, as in self-confidence or confidence in a person, it can often have a negative connotation. Let's have a look at Micah chapter 7 and verse 5. Do not trust in a friend. Do not put your confidence in a companion. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. And Psalm 118 and verse 9. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. It is positive when this confidence is attributed to God. This calls for a word of caution, though. As followers of Jesus, we are called to live out his pattern of mingling, sympathizing, and ministering to people's needs. Yet, when those we serve show confidence in us, we must point them to Jesus and what he has done for them. And so to finish today, if someone were to ask you, what does true faith in God look like? How would you answer, and why? Bring your answer to class on Sabbath. Monday, August 29. A Careful Balance the Seventh-day Adventist in an African country is growing rapidly. What is the secret? Church leaders have stated that there is a strong connection between this growth and the unselfish and unconditional service of the church members to people in communities throughout the country. The widespread confidence in the Seventh-day Adventist church came to the attention of the country's president. He attended a large Adventist community services rally and thanked Seventh-day Adventist church members personally for their service. At the same time, as representatives of Christ, we need to walk a fine line. We need to, as Jesus did, win the trust and the confidence of the people. But their confidence and trust in us needs to be directed toward Jesus. 
We are mere conduits. They see something of Christ in us, be it selflessness, love, caring, self-denial, for the good of others. And they are drawn to us. As always, though, if they look at us too carefully, because we are sinners, they might not like all that they see. Hence, we must always point them to Jesus, in whom they alone can put their full confidence. The rest of us are, sooner or later, bound to disappoint. Question. Read First Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through to 9, and chapter 5, verse 1. What is Paul dealing with in the church? What kind of witness would result if these people were inviting others to their church and the visitors saw what Paul was talking about? Well, first of all, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through to 9. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase." So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labour. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. And 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. Of course, we don't have to be perfect or have a perfect church before we can seek to minister to the needs of others. At the same time, we must seek to be the kind of people whom, to some degree, others can learn to count on and trust. And we can do that only to the degree that we faithfully and diligently care for people as Jesus did. Indeed, there's no question that many of the quarrels and struggles within a church would quickly dissipate with the members focused solely on ministering to the needs of the community and revealing to them the love of Christ. So, to finish today... If some visitors started attending your church regularly, what would they see? And what kind of witness would it present to them? Tuesday, August 30. Social Capital. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1 reads, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Question. How does the concept expressed here relate to our community witness and outreach? What is social capital? When you make investments in a bank account, its value grows. 
Social capital consists of positive, productive relationships that are just as valuable as money in the bank. When you nurture rapport with community leaders, asking them what are the community's needs, seeking their advice on meeting these needs and then following up with action, you are building relationships with them. This is social capital. Each positive experience with them is like an investment in your relationship. Your social capital continues to grow and you increase in value in their eyes. The Church Manual reminds us that Seventh-day Adventists should be recognised as outstanding citizens in working for the common good. We should support by our service and our means as far as possible and consistent with our beliefs efforts for social order and betterment maintaining an uncompromising stand for justice and right in civic affairs. Question. In addition to Jesus' earthly ministry, Scripture gives other examples of what can happen when God's people have acquired social capital. Read the following passages and describe the positive relationships these Bible characters experienced with outsiders and what happened as a result. First of all, Acts chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him, and delivered him out of all his troubles, and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. And Genesis chapter 41, verses 38 to 45. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt." Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried out before him, Bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephnath Parnea, and he gave him as a wife Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. And Daniel chapter 2, verses 46 to 49. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also, Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. And Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. 
It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them, so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Of course, we might not have the kind of dramatic rescues and stories that are seen here, but that's not the crucial point. These men displayed strength of character that impressed those around them. Ellen White states in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 217, 218 and 221, and in Prophets and Kings, page 628, that the following qualities among these godly men won the confidence and favour of the heathens around them, gentleness, fidelity, wisdom, sound judgment, abilities, noble dignity and unswerving integrity. Wednesday, August 31. The Value of Social Capital Churches are largely volunteer groups which operate on limited budgets. Social capital helps improve the chance that your church can reach its significant goals. The old tradition in some countries of farmers helping other farmers bring in their harvest is an example of social capital. That is, though we need to look at each situation on its own, when it is feasible and practical, we can cooperate with others in order to reach our goals. Question. Read Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 1 through to 9. What was the result of the heaven-sent confidence that King Artaxerxes had in Nehemiah? Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favour in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I sent him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they may permit me to pass through till I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. 
Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. Ellen White writes in Prophets and Kings, page 634, The means that he, that's Nehemiah, lacked, he solicited from those who were able to bestow. And the Lord is still waiting to move upon the hearts of those in possession of his goods, in behalf of the cause of truth. Those who labour for him are to avail themselves of the help that he prompts men to give. The donors may have no faith in Christ, no acquaintance with his word, but their gifts are not on this account to be refused. End of quote. How fascinating that in this case God moved upon the hearts of pagans to help with the advancement of his own work. This should teach us an important lesson. To whatever degree we can, we should be willing to work with others, even those not of our faith or even of any faith, if it will advance the cause of Christ. Though, of course, we always have to be careful about any kind of alliance we engage in with others, we can carefully and prayerfully work with others whose input can greatly aid in what we want to do for the good of the community as a whole. Oftentimes, governments or even private businesses or individuals impressed by our humanitarian work will offer their support. This support shouldn't be automatically accepted or automatically rejected. Instead, it should be prayerfully looked at on a case-by-case basis with input and counsel before a decision is made. So, to finish today, what are some ways you can build some social capital in your community that could later result in the positive benefits, not for yourself, but for others? Thursday, September 1, Favour with All People There's no question that we as a people have been blessed with much light from the Lord. This light isn't just in theology, such as understanding the cross, the sanctuary, the state of the dead, the Sabbath and the great controversy, which are great blessings in and of themselves. When we think about the light given us in regard to health and healing as well, we surely have much to offer those around us. In fact, the health message can be a powerful point of contact to help us reach to our communities. After all, even those who might not at least at first have any interest in our beliefs care about having good health. What an opportunity for us to share what we have been given. As we've already seen, Jesus said in Luke 12.48, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. And there's no question, to us much has been given. Question. Read Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through to 9. What is the Lord saying to his people at this time? And in what ways does the principle expressed here apply to us, including the Lord telling them that they must be sure to obey all that he has commanded them. Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. 
You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal of Peor. But you who hold fast to the Lord, your God, are alive today, every one of you. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore, be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it? As the Lord our God is to us, for whatever reason we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day? Only take heed to yourself, and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And teach them to your children and your grandchildren. A few years ago, a Seventh-day Adventist congregation was thinking about this question. Would our community miss us if somehow our congregation disappeared overnight? The answer was simple. No, they wouldn't be missed. Their community had no confidence in them. Not liking the answer, they decided to move from building walls to building bridges. Careful not to compromise what they knew to be truth, they worked in partnership with organisations that are already doing the work of God. They became engaged with these organisations and an ongoing basis, not simply doing one-time projects, but maintaining an ongoing program that greatly benefited their communities. No question, attitudes toward the church soon changed. And so to finish today, read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. What connection was there in the early church between enjoying the favour of all people, as it says in verse 47, and church growth? Compare the values mentioned in this passage with your church's values. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as everyone had need. So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Friday, September 2. 
There are, no doubt, numerous ways in which you and your church can cooperate with other churches and organisations for the good of the community. It's crucial for your local church to know what the community needs are and then, to whatever degree possible, work in harmony with others to meet those needs. What better way to build confidence among the community and even with other churches? When mutual confidence and trust are established between your church and its target community, groundwork is laid for them to move toward following Jesus. For this work will not, cannot, be without fruit, Ellen White said in Ministry of Healing, page 144. God alone knows how many people have been or will be one through the simple act of reaching out and seeking to do good to others who are in need. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, how do we reconcile this idea of building good ties and getting a good name in the community with Jesus' warning in Matthew 10.22, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. How do we work through what appears to be a strong contradiction? Question 2. In class, discuss your answer to the question, What does true faith look like? That is, if we truly have a saving faith in Jesus, what will be different about us from those who don't? And question number 3. The question of gifts from others not of our faith is one that we need to think about carefully. As we saw in Wednesday's study, Ellen White talked favourably about receiving gifts from those who weren't even believers in Jesus. In the Ministry of Healing, page 340, however, she spoke very sharply against churches that took money from those in the liquor business, even its own members, in good and regular standing. She said that money from these people is stained with blood. A curse is on it. How can we know right from wrong in regard to whom we take gifts from or cooperate with in general, even for a good cause? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Meeting People's Needs. Zephyrin, aged 29, is a global mission pioneer in the hills of northern Rwanda. When he came to this district two years earlier, he found just three Seventh-day Adventists. Most people worship traditional gods. Zephyrin studied the people's needs, searching for a way to make friends for Jesus. He asked the chief for permission to teach adults to read and write. The chief agreed and gave him three rooms to use. Zephyrin was surprised when 126 people showed up for class. He had received some training in adult literacy, but he had no books. So, armed with only a blackboard and chalk, he began teaching. Eight months later, most could read and write at least a little. He formed new groups to study advanced reading and writing. When these groups graduated, they could read the Bible in their own language. Zephyrin started and ended class with prayer, and bit by bit he told the students about God and explained Bible truths to them. 
As interest increased, Zephyrin arranged to hold evangelistic meetings. About 500 people came to the meetings. Zephyrin taught them for two weeks and then followed up with visits for a month. He held another two-week series of meetings and a one-month follow-up. He repeated this six times, all the while continuing to teach literacy classes. With each series of meetings, the attendance grew. Almost 200 were baptised in the first baptism. One man was a fortune-teller who earned a living consulting the traditional gods. Another man was a religious leader in another church. Most of the members of his former church followed him. Rosette, the wife of the local school headmaster, was baptised. Zephyrin was concerned that her baptism would make her husband angry. But the headmaster attended the baptism and said, Who knows, maybe I'll be baptised too. He was baptised during the next series of meetings and hopes to start a new group of believers near his school. Zephyrin continued teaching literacy classes, holding evangelistic meetings, visiting families and conducting early morning worship and Sabbath services. And God continued to bless. Within a year, the number of believers grew from three to three hundred. The church's mission office purchased land and provided cement for the foundation and metal sheets for the roof of a church to seat 500 people. The believers brought bicks to build the wall. Today, the church has more than 400 members, plus many children and visitors. Several smaller groups have formed in neighbouring locations, resulting in more baptisms. Your regular mission offerings help support global mission and other church-planting efforts. Thank you for giving. This week's lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful.